politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I just want to say before we start, guys, that I love you more than I like chocolate ice cream with whipped cream on it. Be still, my heart. Are you lactose intolerant? I am. You're a dick. Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam Levin, founder of CyberScout, and constantly amazed at how creative Bo can be in inventing introductions for himself. No idea what you're talking about. I'm Adam Levin, and I am a private investigator who lives in Philadelphia, currently seeking lost dogs. I'm Travis Taylor, and I'm neither one of those things. Adam. Bo. It's Axton Betts Hamilton. The Axton Betts Hamilton. Oh my gosh. Axton. Hey. Long time no see. Indeed. It's been a few years. Absolutely. I'm completely starstruck. Why is that? Because you're like a celebrity in the whole world of of these things that we talk about. Your your story's legend. You know, I I still haven't quite integrated that like into my <laughs> self concept yet. And I you know people I had this happen walking in the park the other day where somebody came up to me and was like, "Oh, you wrote that identity theft book," and I'm like in this sweat a sweatshirt and sweatpants and yeah. like not even like thinking that hey, like I have recognition. It was it was a weird moment, but yeah, people do see me that way. So count me one, count me as one of them. That's me. <laughs> Okay, so I'm really excited today. We have, in my opinion, a very, very special guest. I mean, a legend in our world, a wonderful writer, uh, a remarkable person. And I've known her now for close to 10 years. And the story she tells is truly an amazing story. Uh, And Bo, Travis, and I are fanboys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true, actually. I, I hate that term, but I'll take it today. We are, we are celebrity struck. We are not mm-hmm. worthy. But anyway, our guest today is Axton Betts Hamilton. So anyway, Axton, we have Bo Friedlander. We have Travis Taylor. Hello. And we have a cast of thousands all hiding behind the screen. So tell us about yourself. Where, where, uh, where do you live now? I currently live in Brookings, South Dakota. Um, which is in East Central South Dakota, not too far west of Minnesota, for those who may not be familiar with South Dakota. And what brought me here was the opportunity to be an assistant professor of consumer affairs at South Dakota State University. What, is it, what does that entail? What do, you, what, do you, what do you teach exactly? 
Now, consumer affairs is a broad term that captures consumer economics, financial planning, financial counseling, a little bit of business management. Uh, but I primarily teach in what we call the family financial management area. So I teach courses in financial planning as well as financial counseling. Now, this isn't your first professorship, is it? Indeed. So prior to coming to South Dakota State, I was an assistant professor of consumer studies, very similar to consumer affairs, at Eastern Illinois University in Charleston, Illinois. So what's the difference between the affairs and the studies? Uh, the difference is really who was in charge of naming the program at the time. We are so inconsistent <laughs> with how we name our programs in our field. So I'm basically teaching the same stuff. Is that how you and Adam know each other? Because he was the director of consumer affairs for the state of New Jersey, and you teach consumer affairs. Did you guys, Did you know you have that in common? Well, so how I met Adam uh, was kind of a fluke. And what happened was I found where he had written about me, Hmm. And I contacted him to correct him because there was some information that was factually incorrect based on some developments in my identity theft case, which I know we'll get to. So so let, let me ask the really dumb question. So you were the victim of identity theft, Axon? Indeed, I was. <laughs> and, and I was a victim at a time when identity theft wasn't even a thing. People didn't know about it. So what you know, it wasn't a household word. In fact, at the time that I was a victim of identity theft, people didn't know, because I was a child at the time, people didn't even know that children could have their identity stolen. So it wasn't even on the radar. So when is this about? 1993. Axton Betts Hamilton was 19 when she first requested a copy of her credit report. She expected a high score, but got exactly the opposite. My credit report was 10 pages long full of fraudulent credit card entries and associated collection agency entries. She learned her identity had been stolen years earlier when she was just 11. Okay. And, and in fact, in those days, all the way up till really the, the middle of the first decade of the millennium, when you had an identity theft issue, the consumer was never viewed as the victim. It was always the business that was the victim. Consumers were, we were all just collateral damage. Or potential, or potential crooks. That too. Oftentimes you were guilty until proven innocent when it came to any claim of being a victim of identity theft. Okay, so you're coming up on, it's almost 30 years since that happened, since you first were the victim of identity theft back in a time when uh, the Gulf War had just started and it was a very, very different world. I mean, that was a, think about what 1993 was. Just two hours ago, Allied Air Forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait. In 1993, again, this was before child identity theft was even heard of, really, my parents' identities were stolen. At least that's what I've been told. So I watched them deal unsuccessfully with trying to recover from the identity theft because, again, back at that time, consumers weren't considered the victims. The creditors were. and. The businesses were. So legally, there really wasn't a lot of recourse for my parents. Um, and the whole guilty until proven innocent thing that Adam just mentioned, that was definitely true um, for my parents. And um, you know, we had our mail uh, come up missing. And back at that time, again, early 90s, we had 
we lived on a farm out in the country and we had a big yellow metal mailbox out by the road that anybody could have driven by and taken our mail. And we thought that's what was happening. My mom got a post office box in town and our mail was still coming up missing. I mean, and this was everything. This wasn't just somebody picking out bills with personal information or stealing checks out of the mail. I mean, this was farm magazines, my pen pal letters, because back then we, we wrote letters to each other by hand as kids. We didn't do, we didn't do texting or TikTok or anything like that. Uh, so definitely different time, uh, but it felt personal in that regard because they were taking not just personal information, but things that we liked, that we enjoyed. My dad enjoyed the farm magazines. I looked forward to my pen pal letters and because our mail was being stolen at least it seemed to be from within the post office. Uh. There was a family member suspect because that family member did work within post office. Um, and there were other suspects as well growing up um, that my mom said, you know, well, this person we know, you know, we're, they were able to afford this. Well, how, you know, how can they afford that given their salary? And, these suspects that mom came up with were people who were close to us. And so the way to deal with that was because we didn't know who was responsible for the identity theft. And in the eyes of the law, my parents weren't victims. The way to protect ourselves was to pull back from those relationships. So those relationships with family, friends, we just gradually faded away. So your mom, uh, at this point, said the best thing we can do since it might be this person or this person or this person, one of them being a relation family relation was to um, withdraw from. Yep. We just gradually stopped talking with people. So um, family, friends, uh, extended relatives. And on my mom's side, there, there really wasn't a lot of family. Um, in fact, as of now, I'm one of two living relatives on that side. But my dad's extended family is huge. So he was one of 50 grandchildren. So there, there are a lot of, of relatives on that side. And we weren't allowed to talk to them because uh, many of the people on that suspect list that my mom seemed to be adding to, they were relatives on that side. So oh, wow. I didn't, we didn't talk to them. We didn't, so we didn't go to family reunions. We didn't gather for holidays. And, you know, we didn't talk to them on the phone, of course, because of the identity theft, our landline was shut off. So it, it was a very isolating experience, but in a way it felt okay because it felt like it was our only method of self-protection. Now your dad and, and your dad was the only other person living on the farm with you at the time? Well, yes and no. So um, the farm that I grew up on um, was actually my grandfather's farm. So we lived in a mobile home on the property. Mom or dad's side? On mom's side. And then when okay. he passed away, that seemed to be the trigger point for the identity theft. He passed mm. away in 1993. The identity theft started not too long after that. And when we moved into his house, so we moved from the mobile home into his house, my other grandfather, so my dad's dad, moved into the mobile home. So um, I always had a grandfather so, um, you know, that, that was a nice benefit. We didn't tell my grandfather what was happening, though. We didn't talk to him about it because we weren't sure if he would 
maybe tell my aunt or my uncle or he, he went to the American Legion every day. We weren't sure who he might say something to that he shouldn't. So we never discussed the identity theft with him, even though he lived with us from 1995 to 2011. So the only people who knew were the three of you, your mom, your dad and you. But now what what exactly what exactly was the identity theft that they were experiencing? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So, um, the identity theft that they were experiencing was all financial identity theft. So, credit cards being taken out in their names, hmm. checks being written off. My mom's account, but it looked like a mirrored account. Um, people going to payday lending places and cashing checks using that mirrored account. Um, that's always a favorite. People establishing uh, bank accounts in my mom's name. Was it a lot of money or a little money? Well, so in total, and this is now knowing everything that happened, it approximately $600,000 over a 20-year wow. period. Oh. Wow. That's Wait, but at the time, though, money. when your mom was just experiencing these payday loan things and stuff, it was 600000 then or later? Later, later, the sum total. So back in the early 90s, it was a few hundred dollars here. Gotcha. You know, a couple thousand dollars here on the credit card. They weren't massive amounts. Okay. Uh, what did you and your parents call it? Like, how did you talk about it if you didn't really know that that was a specific type of crime? Mom called it identity theft. Okay. Um, and... As a kid, I just assumed that she knew that's what it was because she worked in the financial services industry. Oh, she worked in financial services. Yes. So she understood uh, kind of what was being done to the family. Yeah. So she understood She understood what identity theft was and she understood, at least I presume, she understood what we could do to stop it, which oh, yeah. really mm -hmm. wasn't that much back at that time. But basically what's going on is males disappearing strange accounts are appearing, money is disappearing here and there, and meanwhile, your family is withdrawing from pretty much everybody you know. You're becoming sort of like this island. It's like the third act in a clue, game of Clue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's suspicious of everyone. <laughs> so it was, it was the butler. Every person in this room has the perfect motive. Did the butler do it? Nah. It's not just a game anymore. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance an electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T 
T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rogue Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rogue's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. So now this, the wagons are circled in this weird way. Your mom's isolated the the families to, to keep them safe from further um, crimes, right? That's kind of where, where we are. And then what happened? Did it stop? Did the crime stop then? Well, no. And... One of my motivations for going away to college, which, by the way, was a big argument back at that time, you know, going away to school versus living at home and commuting, I wanted to get away from the identity theft because it never seemed to go away. We seemed Hmm. powerless in response to this, and there seemed to be no consequences for the person who was able to do all of these things. And it seemed personal, you know, you know, stealing pen pal letters and I, you know, stealing the farm magazines, you know, there, there's a, it, it's not just account numbers and social security numbers. There, there, it, it felt like someone close to us. And it felt like someone was trying to, to be mean. Right. It's, it felt like someone who had a personal vendetta w- with one of my parents or both of them. Huh. And so I thought the way to get away from it was to go away to college. So I went a hundred miles away from home to Purdue for college. I spent the first year in the dorms and didn't have any problems financially. Thought, okay, the identity theft is behind me. They won't find me at Purdue. So that shows you how naive I was back then. Um, And my sophomore year, I moved off campus, got my first little dinky studio apartment that had the 70s wood paneling. But hey, I was proud of it, it was mine. (laughs) And I called the electric company to establish service. And they told me the day and time they would switch on the service, but hey, things are great, we're moving along. And a few days later, they sent me a letter in the mail saying, we need a $100 deposit to turn on service due to your credit score. And by the way, here's a number to call for a copy of your credit report. I didn't think anything of it because I knew enough about credit then at 19 to know that not having enough credit can be just as damaging as having bad credit. But kids' identities can't be stolen, right? So this this is nothing. The identity theft has nothing to do with me. So no big deal. I called the number to get a copy of my credit report from whatever credit bureau it was at that time. And I just wanted to see what a credit report looked like. I didn't know. And about six weeks later, I remember getting off the city bus at my apartment building and seeing this really large manila envelope sticking out of the top of my mailbox. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that looks official. What is that? And I got to my mailbox, saw it was from the credit bureau, and it was thick. I mean, it was just like that, you know, it was, it, so it, like it was, an, like it was a half quite an a inch thick. Board. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was about, it was about an inch thick. And I thought, Oh, credit reports must be really hard to read. They must come with a lot of instructions. <laughs> and and, and those were, the, those were the days when you received a hard copy credit report. The, the envelope screamed credit report. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And please open me and steal for, this person's identity because it's yeah, their for, whole for some, credit. For history. someone who is is living through an identity theft saga that seems to never be ending, uh, to have this thing sitting there like a flashing red light, going "Open me and steal what's inside," mm-hmm. that uh, probably was a little disconcerting too, and embarrassing. <laughs> a lot of people didn't; they, they uh-huh. just felt funny. When other people knew they were getting a credit report, they figured something must be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right. In, in my case, it was wrong. I, well, why? Wait a second. It shouldn't have been so thick? So when I opened the envelope yeah. and, again, expecting instructions and disclosures, my credit report was actually 10 pages long, full of fraudulent credit card entries and associated collection agency entries that dated back to the time that my parents' identities were stolen back in 1993. Um, so it could be assumed that the person responsible for their identity theft was also responsible for my identity theft. Adam Levin runs Identity Theft 911 and says there are millions of cases like accidents. Family members use a child's name and social security number to open accounts. And since most companies don't cross-reference the age, the fraud goes undetected. It may only surface when the child actually applies for a credit product, whether they're applying for a student loan or their car or their first credit card. So our our three identities were stolen at the same time. So how did you feel the precise moment that you were expecting a short story and ended up with war and peace in your envelope? What, What was the first thing that went through your mind, especially when you suddenly realized that your credit was mixed up in all of this as well? I thought I would never have anything. I thought I would never own a car, that I'd never own a house. I thought I would never have a credit card. Those things that people take for granted who don't have identity theft happen to them, I I thought I would never be able to have those things. And so you said it went back as far as 1993. Was there anything more recent in there? Was that, uh, someone doing that when you were still in college? Or, yeah. Well, there was stuff ongoing. So it started in 1993, this was 2001. There was. There were things in there that through early 2001. But see, by that point, the identity thief had to stop because my credit score was 380. They'd taken my credit and ruined it as far as they could. So there was no more to be had. They had they no had, more blood in the stone. Right. You said earlier your the the total uh, was six hundred thousand dollars. Also, now where are we now? When you looked at that report, how much were you on the hook for? Just looking at the original, it was probably between ten and fifteen thousand at that wow. point. Which for That's a college a student is huge, heavy mm-hmm. stuff, giant. So you were like, "I'm done. Okay, great. I'm going to college, and I'm never going to be able to pay for anything." Right. Okay. So then, what happened? Well, the next step was to call my mom because, again, she worked in the financial services industry. I thought she would know what to do. And she told me to not take the identity theft personally because this is what identity thieves do. They get someone's information, they use it for what they can, they move on to somebody else. And that the identity thief in my case had to have been long gone because they couldn't use my credit for anything else. My credit score was in the second percentile of all credit scores in the nation 
at that point. So really, there was no blood left in the stem. Hmm. That wasn't a very satisfactory response to me. And, you know, I, I'm a person who tends to grab the bull by the horns in many respects. And I thought, I'm going to start calling these original creditors because surely they'll understand that I was under the age of 18 and they'll remove the information from my credit report. I got a rude awakening on that. The first one I called, the customer service representative said that my case wasn't identity theft because someone made two payments on the card before stopping paying on the card and that identity thieves don't do that. So I was essentially being told I was a liar from the first place I saw it. Which is also patently incorrect. That's totally false. Right. Identity thieves often will make a few payments so that they can increase the amount of blood in the stone. Right. Okay, so then what happened? Well, again, I really thought I'm never going to own anything. And again, I'm guilty until proven innocent. And why? Why is this happening to me? Who is so angry at my parents that they've ratcheted up another step and they've stolen their child's identity? You know, that, that that's, a, that's a level of personalization that wasn't there before, you know, at that time from our perspectives. And I took it upon myself to file a report with the Indiana State Police because I thought they would be the best law enforcement agency to take the report. Since my parents lived in Indiana, I lived in Indiana just 100 miles away, and I thought they have jurisdiction over the whole state. They'll be the ones who can do something about this. And at 19, I wanted lights, sirens, and you know, hail a gunfire if necessary. At this point, like just take them down. And I didn't Where's get Sean that. Where's Sean Connery when you need him? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the Indiana State Police did take a report. It's a very brief report. It said, I'm trying to remember the exact wording, unknown suspect open credit cards in complainant's name. I remember it was two lines on the sheet. Hmm. And I was given a copy of the report and said, I was told good luck. Um, you'll need to show this to original creditors. And that was the extent of the involvement from the Indiana State Police. Not, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything bad about our, our state police, but th- back at that time, and I didn't realize this, that was actually a good response from law enforcement. No, a lot of uh, law enforcement people in those days were like, this has nothing to do with us. There's nothing we can do about it. You know, you know, but Adam, call the FBI. Adam, I know you'll remember this, but I remember I, I had not that long ago, my identity was stolen and I needed to get a police report because you always have to get a police report when there's an instance of identity theft because your creditors do need to see it. Right. Um, and I went to the police station and he literally said, it's not my job. And I was like, it, it is your job, actually. And he said, no. And I had to I actually had to say, like, listen, you know, I work in the media, and if you want to play this game, then we can have an article come about. I come out about how you're wrong about this, or you can take the report. Mumble, mumble, mumble. He took the report. He didn't want to do it because it was a lot of work, and and that is like, so you did great actually because even nowadays they don't want to fill out that form. It's a it, it is about a half an hour's worth of paperwork. And you were nineteen, correct, at the time? Yes. Had you discussed this uh, with anyone out other than your parents at that point before? Yeah, I like know a you counselor at college been, or something. Yeah, that you'd been cut off from a lot of your, uh, you know, family, friends, and everything like that. And um, just wondering if there was a, if 
the secret was out at that point or, you know, was this a thing for discussion or was it still very much kind of kept under wraps? Back at that time, there really weren't a lot of resources on college campuses to help right. students with mm-hmm. financial issues. Um, you know, there was psychological counseling services available, financial aid counseling available, but financial wellness programs and things of that nature didn't exist back then like they do today. Mm. So there really weren't the appropriate resources on campus for me to reach out to. And I'm not sure that given where I was at that time and given my family's experience and how that shaped my worldview of who to trust and who not to trust, I'm not sure that I would have reached out for help to anyone outside of the family beyond the original creditors and the police. That sounds like it must have been very isolating. Yeah, and I I think that was planted by mom and really dad too, because dad believed that keeping this to ourselves was really the best option to uh, not tip off the identity thief to anything that we might be doing uh, to try and catch them or stop them. You know, growing up in that that environment, you really learn to not trust because everybody's motives are questioned. You know, if I would walk through a store with mom, I would look at people and think, oh, is it you? Are you the thief? Are you the thief? Are you the thief? And that was what was going through my head. That really messes with your sense of trust. That's still something that I off and on struggle with today. Oh, man. Well, and, and, you know, in the world of identity theft, and especially when you're dealing with victims, it is not uncommon that there is this shame culture where either you think you did someone wrong, uh, something wrong, or you're, 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 you're embarrassed or uncomfortable speaking to anyone about it. But there's and a then, blame, course, like a blame the victim thing, Adam? Yeah, it, that that's really was. It's, 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 it's blame the victim. Because, oh, well, you must, you must. You must have done something wrong. Yeah, you told somebody something you shouldn't have told them and they got the information or you did something dumb or, you know, whatever. And, and in so many situations involving identity theft, the victim did nothing wrong <laughs> at all. And instead of feeling shame, uh, you know, we should be, they should be comforted. Uh, where, where, where in the story, you know, with your mom saying like, chill, be chill, that you're done. Uh, it also doesn't anymore. sound like a very mom kind of statement for moms. Well, I don't think she said be chill to be fair. No, but I'm just <laughs> simply saying, Hey, that's the way, you know, stuff happens live with it it's like no (laughs) did you think it was weird that your mom was like you know not outraged with you or was that kind of what you expected oh that was what i expected mom was very factual Uh um, very direct Um, okay that that was just how she was in our family she was the one who was the financial wizard and in my parents relationship and i think my dad would agree with me on this she was a smart one because she went to college and dad didn't. And so that dynamic was well established and that created some relative power with mom that maybe dad didn't have so much of. And so she was the one you listened to. I mean, she, she was right. Did she help you dig out of that 10,000, $15,000 hole? Is that, I mean, if she was the wizard, that would be the next move. No. Nope. What happened? Um, she said that the accounts would just, age off my credit report and mm. to not worry about it. And I didn't, I didn't take that for an answer. So I actually called my dad too. And his reaction nearly broke the receiver. His was a more 
far more appropriate parental response. Uh, you'd have to bleep out the words if I actually said what he said on here. So. Well, also, when they talk about aging out of your credit report, it's like seven years. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's especially to somebody 19. That's like an eternity plus one. Absolutely. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split second financial decisions. And that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks and I trade options and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, okay, now you've been told that uh, it'll age out. Mm -hmm. Now what? You're all done and it didn't happen anymore and everything's cool. Well, no. Uh, no. So, <laughs> I... I really started working on getting my credit report clear because again, I didn't feel like this was fair to me. Um, there was a part of me that thought I'm in college and I really can't be stopped from doing this. So you know, my you mom can't say, no, don't do that. Yeah. And so I started contacting original creditors, collection agencies, which by the way, collection agencies generally are not very sympathetic to identity theft victims. Mm -mm. and uh, contacting the credit reporting agencies. And I did that to dispute those fraudulent accounts. And I started working to build good credit while I was going through that process because that process was so slow and so painful. And sometimes those disputed accounts would be verified simply because my name and social security number matched. Well, of course it did. That's that's the whole game of the idea. But the identity theft, you know, your name and social security number match. It looks like your debt. So it is your debt. So what kind of what kind of good credit were you building at a time when nobody wanted to give you credit because your credit score was, you know, somewhere below a submarine in the middle of the uh, uh, the, the men trench in the Atlantic Ocean? So that's a very good descriptor. Bo and I like to talk about being on the bottom of Loon Lake under a bottle cap, but in your case, you were like in the Great Trench. So how did, how'd you do it? So I applied for a credit card from a subprime lender. And in fact, my credit score was good enough to get the platinum card, not the gold or the silver. Ooh. I got the platinum card 
<laughs> with a $300 credit limit, a $69 annual fee that was assessed before they would send the credit card, and the APR on that credit card was 29.99%. Wow. So you got the, 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 new, the new truism, which is there's nothing more expensive than having bad credit. Did they require you to put up a deposit as well? Because many of these guys used to do that. They'd, they'd want to deposit to cover the full amount of the account. And then as you made payments, they would then back off to like 50% of the account in a deposit. No, and maybe that's something that they did with the gold and silver card holders. I, I guess I was privileged with the platinum account. but um, And so I had that card for a month. Mm -hmm. And then the car that I had uh, was not worth repairing. And I went car shopping and I needed a car loan. And I, at the time I was living in Illinois, and I drove over 100 miles one way to find a dealership that would give me special financing. Special mm -hmm. financing is not a good thing. No. Special financing on a five-year-old used car. And forget what I paid actually for the car, but I do remember the, the APR on that loan, 18.23%. So that was like putting a car on a credit card. Yeah. Yeah. 18%. 18%. And that was with my mom co-signing. Oh, your mom co-signed. Right. Well, that's nice. So, yeah. so you, so you got some help from your mom there and yeah. you got a car and you're on, are you on the road to now? Did you make all your payments on in a timely way? And you basically were staying on top of it. What I did is I made on-time payments for six months at that 18.23% APR and then applied to refinance and got the interest rate cut in half. Nice. Now, while you were doing this, was there any parallel identity theft continuing with you as your credit score was starting to build itself back up again? No, which at the time it made what mom said when I was 19 about how identity thieves use your credit and move on made sense because it's like the person responsible for it just moved on. It does make sense. Totally. And then you got to build your credit up again. And you were doing it slowly. And from that moment, you never experienced identity theft again. Right. Huh. So where's the $600,000 coming from? Well, um, that is the combined total of all of our identity thefts. Because it turns out that even though uh, the identity theft of me stopped, it continued with my dad and it continued uh -huh. with my grandfather. And... Uh -huh. While all of this was going on with me getting a new car and getting that credit card, we didn't know his identity had been stolen. Did anyone else in your family um, experience identity theft, or was it just the people living on the farm? Just, yeah, just the people living on the farm, just the, just the immediate family there. We need the Sean Connery moment. So clearly this identity thief got caught and went to jail for 20, 30 years. No. That, no? While, while this was happening, what were they what were they continuing was it credit cards payday loans or was it did they take a new avenue in order to yeah were there like houses or businesses or caterpillars <laughs> yeah so um what was continuing with my mom and dad was new bank accounts credit cards tax related issues um Ooh. utility tax. accounts oh uh, both state and federal tax issues so in other words, someone someone was filing fake returns and, and then diverting refunds. Was that what was going on there? 
turns out uh, they were filing fraudulent information to try and avoid paying taxes altogether. I don't know if there were actually any refunds ever issued. From the documentation I have, it doesn't that doesn't appear to be the case. All right, so then we're we're um, now at the point where your mom and your mom's also presumably getting um, uh, identi- having identity theft happen to her as well this mm-hmm. whole time, correct? Correct. Presumably, at some point, everybody's credit was wrecked. Oh, it was. So then, then did everyone start rebuilding their identity, and you never figured out who it was, or? Mom and Dad kind of gave up on that in terms in in terms of rebuilding their identity. Um, my dad became a cash-only kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, pay the electric bill in cash, pay, pay the cell phone bill in cash, pay for cars in cash. And he just decided he didn't need credit. And presumably mom was the same way. And they just, did, they just did without. I was the only one who worked on rebuilding my credit. And I felt like I had to because of my age. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather didn't know that he was a victim of identity theft. So he and he didn't have a lot of knowledge about finances, so he didn't work at all to rebuild his credit either. Now, how old was your grandfather while this was going on? He passed away in 2013 at the age of 83. So this would have been going on in his late 70s and early 80s. Which is, it's terrible for a senior citizen to have to live through this along with everything else. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm hearing you now. You're this. We're now at 2021. You seem like you've got some peace in your heart. Is that because you did finally figure out who the identity thief was? I did, and along the way, I uh, earned two graduate degrees in the process. And uh-huh. and while earning those degrees, I focused on identity theft and child identity theft in the hopes that I would learn something that would lead me to the big reveal of who was responsible. That actually happened six months after finishing my doctoral program. Okay. And and how many years after 1993 was that? Uh, 19. So I finished my um, doctorate in 2012. Gotcha. And then in 2013, found out the person responsible. So full 20 years, almost to the day from the time that the identity theft started to when the offender was identified. Wow. And was it, was, what was the situation? So it was actually a very sad occasion. Um, my mom had been diagnosed with leukemia on the very same day that I officially finished my doctoral program. And she passed away from leukemia six months later. I'm and sorry. two weeks after that, my dad called me and he was livid. So this is February 25th of 2013. This data is burned into my brain. And he, and he called me up. And he's just yelling at me for running a credit card over the limit in 2001. And I said, what credit card is it? And he told me, and I said, dad, that was one of the credit cards that was taken out of my name as part of the identity theft. And he said, well, it's in a file box of your mother's and it's in here in the file folder with your birth certificate. Whoa. Yeah. And so my blood ran cold because I had my birth certificate, you know, the, 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 the original that was handwritten and I knew where it was. It was in my house. What birth certificate was this? Huh. And come to find out it was a certified copy that was issued from the County Health Department on June 7th of 2000. So it wasn't the original. So that was the credit card and the birth certificate together. I knew then 
that she was the one and that her identity had never been stolen.